lights go down and you found yourself surrounded Astounded by the veteran crew that you discounted But we're back for our piece of this game And we remain on a mission to increase the recognition of the name That you saw on the marquee when you walked in the building to the show Thought you brought your potholes, but we feel them It's just one of our tricks, we're in the mix like trail The mic in my hand becomes a Molotov cocktail Igniting your vicinity from now till infinity Burning it down, we build it back from the ground up J Vigilantes are back on a loud up We're trying to reach the folks in the back So come and sign up Disclaimer, there may be some bad language in this podcast, so please steer clear of the bad language. Welcome to All Up In It with Chubby Cox. I'm Chubby Cox. Uh, this week on All Up In It with Chubby Cox... Uh, uh, I think you got the wrong podcast, man. Uh, oh, oh, is this the magic one? This is the magic one. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. Uh, welcome to... The second episode of Magic in the Middle of Nowhere. Uh, I am Travesty Jones, your host. Uh, with me again this week, Chris and uh, Robert. Uh, say hey, guys. Hello, hello. I guess this week we're just going to go ahead and uh, start out with a little magic news here. Um, there's not really a, a whole ton of news. Um, just wanted to... Start off with some of the Mirrodin Besieged spoiler cards that have come out. The the two new ones, um, being Mirren Crusader uh, and Frexian Crusader. Um, we'll take it one by one here. Mirren Crusader, uh, two white and one for a uh, two two creature human knight. Uh, double strike protection from black and from green. Uh, right off the bat, when you look at it, you see pro-enemy colors, and I don't know that I've ever really seen a card that, that only had protection from two colors and they were enemy colors. Uh, uh, have you guys ever seen anything that has pro-enemy colors? I never have. It seems a little strange. I wonder what it means. It's definitely for, pretty cool. For the rest of the cards. Yeah, well then, we'll go ahead and just look at Fraction and Crusader, because it, uh, like, uh, what... Is seemingly going to be a theme for the set. is kind of a mirror image. Um, it's Frexian Crusader, two black and one, or a two-two uh, zombie knight creature. It has first strike and protection from red and from white, and it infects. So it you know deals out poison counters and wither and all that good stuff. Um, what I notice about this is if these are the mirror images of the cards, one has pro black and green, the other has pro red and white, then uh, what we're missing here is blue. So, so we're missing blue, and that means uh, what exactly? I don't know. I can only speculate that that blue is maybe going to be, you know, a, a neutral color, the the Switzerland of the color color pie in this set. Um, you know, the you're going to have red, white, black, and black and green slugging it out, and blue is going to be in the middle manipulating things. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is, does that sound plausible? Definitely. It's possible to me. I mean, I don't think it could mean much else other than that. All right. Well, uh, let's see here. And then the other news. Well, I just saw. I've been seeing some things on uh, MTG Cast about a new Magic video game. Um, it's kind of hard to see exactly what it's going to be like or what it's all about from from what I've seen so far. You guys have experience with Magic video games? Did you ever play like um, that Battlegrounds game that was on the original PlayStation? No, I never have. 
Yeah, me either. <laughs> uh, all I know is Magic Online and Duels of the Planeswalkers, which are pretty much the you know the same game. Uh, it's just Magic the Gathering um, played in you know with digital cards. Um, but this seems to be more like that. What I think that Battlegrounds game was, where it's like a different game, just kind of themed on Magic, um, where you have different avatars uh, representing Planeswalkers and spells and things like that which isn't exactly going to be the same game. It's, it might be kind of hard for Magic players to get into, but it also could attract other, you know, outside players to the Magic world if it ends up being a pretty good game. What I personally would like to see as far as Magic game is one that's like Goals of the Planeswalkers, um, only maybe some more, um, you know, you can customize your decks a little bit better. And what I really would love to see is, you know, two wizards standing on, like, the side of a field... Basically, and, and every time you cast a spell from your hand, you have a, a, a cinematic that happens that shows you casting this spell or this creature. It hits hits the ground, and uh, you know you actually have physical or well, uh, virtual representations in, in 3D of you know not just cards on a table, but like the actual creatures and spells that those cards represent. I, I know um, it kind of would just add a lot of flash to a regular game of Magic, but that seems. You know, that would be pretty cool to me. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Looks like that might be pretty cool. And it looks to me, from what I've read, that that's pretty much what it's going to be like, where you'll have your Planeswalker and you'll build a spell book out of cards. You know, cards are real in the game. When you cast the spells, you'll have, like, it's a Lord of the Pit hanging out in the background waiting to stomp some face or something. And looks to me like they move around and everything, almost like it might be even real-time strategy, kind of. All right. Well, yeah. Well, you, we look forward to uh, playing it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> oh, it's free as well. Oh, I didn't even realize that. It's free? Yeah. Is it PC only? Uh, no, it's coming out for uh, PlayStation 3 in early 2011, too. Right. And uh, I guess... The game's free to play, and you probably start out with, you know, a default set of cards, but it says that you can buy booster packs and everything, and they'll have right. tournament play and stuff so like that. So that. that's, that's how they make their money. They, they sell virtual booster packs a lot, like Magic Gathering Online. Yeah. All right, and that'll bring us to our next section, uh, which is the old deck of the week. Uh... Chris has one for us this week. It's his, uh, he mentioned it on the last podcast, his Pinger deck. Uh, what was that deck all about, Chris? Oh, well, that day I became entranced by um, Pingers, like Prodigal Sorcerer and uh, what are they called? Thornwind Fairies, I believe. And I built a deck around them using mostly Sigil Sleep and would basically just ping someone to death and make sure they couldn't keep any creatures on board. Plus, I also yeah. ran uh, Storm Cauldron and Man of Breach just to be extra annoying and ran Cap's Eyes. And yeah, so was, basically, you just keep returning stuff to their hand, which would slow down their game uh, enough that your, your pingers could kind of lock down the board, control the board a little bit. 
Uh, like you said, you use Sigil of Sleep, which um, whenever a pinger would deal damage to a player, that player would have to return a creature they controlled to their owner's hand, uh, to its owner's hand. Um, and I, I'm guessing it was, was it mono blue? Yeah, it was mono blue. Um, I had the pingers in there and some bump stuff like that. Capsized. I had four capsizes, I believe. They were fun. Any, any counter magic or were you just kind of going pinging creatures and enchantments and things like that? It was all just pink creatures and enchantments and just lots of battles. Yeah. I'm I sure really what... hadn't mastered uh, control yet, so it was like my first <laughs> control deck. Okay. Well, I'm sure what the uh, some of the listeners are wondering is what makes it fun? It was fun to play because, for me, I like to see the other player frustrated. <laughs> it gives me a, a thrill. Oh, watch one of those, one of those bastards. Yeah. So, you know, you get your little creatures out, and you see me, the particle sorcerer, and of course it's not a real big threat, one damage, who cares? And then, next thing you know, you've got a handful of creatures and lands, and you can't keep them out because they keep bouncing them all back. And you just keep getting hit one damage at a time until you're dead. All right. Uh, yeah, the, definitely. I remember you actually having that deck, and uh, you remember that it was pretty fun to pilot, uh, for sure, and definitely aggravating to play against. Um, you know, people constantly returning lands and creatures to your hand just slowed you down. You could never really get any kind of game plan going, unless you know, it, as long as you were able to get get that going. Um, I don't know. I think today, though, if you wanted to build that deck, it, you know, this is just a casual deck. Um, there, you would probably want to build a red-blue one because um, you had so many red cards now that it seems like red uh, or pinging has become uh, red's forte. Uh, right now you got, uh, in standard, the Cunning Spark Mage, Basilisk Collar Combo. It's a good way to kill creatures. You don't have to worry about bouncing them. Just kill them outright. Um, and then back in uh, Invasion, I think the Apocalypse set, there was a card, uh, Razorfin Hunter, which is actually a pinger that only costs one red and one blue. It's like a goblin-merfolk hybrid. Um, I mean, how about you, Robert? Do you, can you think of any other kinds of uh, fun interactions for newer cards that might work in this, this type of deck? Gelectrode. <clears throat> Gelectrode? I'm not familiar with that one. Could you? Uh... It's an old Ravnica card. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty sweet. It's a uh, red-blue. And uh, basically, when you're casting spells, it untaps itself, so you can keep pinging that way. All right, yeah. Well, there, there you go with the. So try uh, building that deck if you want a fun deck to play with. All the cards in it are really old, uh, a lot of old and very common commons and uncommons that I'm sure you could pick up for next to nothing off the internet. And if you got a casual playgroup, uh, bust that out, and I'm sure you could have a lot of fun with it. So very cool. Um, yeah, maybe steal your friend's deck like I did. <laughs> oh yeah, didn't you? <laughs> you had a uh, with the pinger deck. What, what was it? You played against somebody else and you you beat them. Into, you were playing for decks. Yeah, we were playing for decks, and this kid thought his angel deck was really awesome. So and it was full of rare angels and stuff, and it was just a very good deck. And I took that angel deck from him. With my fingers. <laughs> he wasn't very happy. 
No, I doubt it. Well, especially when you discovered I was actually serious about keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're paying for uh, playing for pink slips, uh, somebody's gonna walk away unhappy. That's for damn sure. <laughs> and I believe uh, he came back and uh, tried to. He wanted to win his deck back with another deck, and you which you proceeded to take. And I think he tried to <laughs> whip out maybe his his last gas deck. Uh, again to try to, to win one of his decks back and you basically took his entire card collection from him yeah it was pretty good and what was even better was I kept beating him with his own deck set whenever I'd <laughs> win his deck I'd play his next deck with the deck I just won oh man nothing worse than getting bitch slapped with your own arm <laughs> uh, alright well there's the old deck of the week uh, our new deck of the week for this week is uh well, Elves, um, it's a standard, you know, popular standard deck right now. I've actually seen it um, coming in, you know, uh, top eights and some Magic Online um, eight-man queues and stuff like that. Um, and I know, Rob, uh, Robert, you actually, uh, well, at Friday Night Magic the other night, um, I was lucky enough to pilot my deck to a second-place finish. Some total bastard uh, beat me. Came in first. Uh, do, do, do you remember who that was, Robert? No, I, I have no idea who that was. I think they were playing something terrible. <laughs> something terrible like L's? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, obviously that was you. So uh, what? Uh, tell, tell us. Uh, well, I'm gonna give you actually. Um, you've been working with a guy named Billy, and he wanted us to talk about it on the show. Uh, an elf build that he. Um, wanted us to, to go over and kind of critique here. I'll read down the list um, for Arbor Elf, for Elvish Archdruid, for Zuri Renegade Leaner, for Fauna Shaman, for Jiraga Tree Speaker, for Atlanta War Elves, for Copperhorn Scout, for Nisa's Chosen, for Eldrazi Monument, uh, 3 Nisa Revane, and then 21 lands, uh, 17 forests, 2 Oren Reefs, and 2 Tectonic Edges. Uh, what I can see... Um, on this deck list that you don't run, I believe, is uh, Copper Horde Scout, right? Yeah, I don't run that. Yeah, I think you had uh, Vengevines in that slot? Yeah, there's Vengevines <laughs> in there. Yeah, bit of a bit of a power creep in that little switch out there. Um, Tiny bit. But obviously not everyone has Vengevines or the money to shell out um, to get them. Um, what do you think? Uh, have you ever playtested Copper Horde Scout? I haven't played with the card yet, but it does seem... Pretty interesting because you can attack and you know untap and such. And, I mean, it looks like it can do some some pretty fun things. And I'm still not a fan. You know, I prefer something else in the slot. Um, you know, more overrun effects like overwhelming stampede is, is always good. Um, maybe Garrick. He's always a good one. Yeah, that was uh, the other thing I noticed uh, about this build compared to you, the one that you were running, um, is that he has four Eldrazi Monument. I, I don't know that you were running any at all. I guess you put Overwhelming Stampede in that slot. Yeah, I don't run any monuments. I just uh, ride on the back of a fa- I have four Fauna Shaman, four Azuri, and Tatuta, you know, and then four uh, Stampedes. And usually gets the job done once I draw one. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, Eldrazi Monument makes sense though if you are uh, if you don't have the Venge Vines um, over Overwhelming Stampede because really at that point um, your deck list doesn't have any creatures that you know stand alone on their own with a high power you know nothing really has more than two 
from what I can see here. So, um, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with Monument in that slot. No, yeah, it's a fine card. Yeah, I mean, in, in my own green deck, a uh, green aggro deck, it's not really L straight up, but it definitely runs off of uh, Eldrazi Monument and then also Beastmaster Ascension as the kill. So, But, you know, um, Azuri Renegade Leader will definitely uh, mess some people up pretty bad. So uh, I think that really is the key card to an elf deck. I, I wouldn't really think that an elf deck is competitive without four Azuris um, in the main because uh, being able to regenerate all your creatures and then having a built-in... Uh, overrun is definitely, uh, you know, that's clutch for this deck. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's basically what the deck does. You play a ton of creatures, and then you're just trying to overrun. You know, if you can't overrun all their creatures, you're going to outclass yours eventually. So yeah. it's going to kind of get there and get there fast. Yeah, the the other thing I noticed about this deck is that uh, other than the three Nissere veins and the land, Everything is a creature. There's no non... Uh, well, no, Eldrazi Monument. Eldrazi Monument as well, but everything else is a creature, and that's a lot of creatures. So it makes it dis- uh, difficult for control um, you know, control matchups to kill off all their creatures. You definitely need, you know, board-sweeping effects, um, which, you know, unless you're playing blue-white control, you might not find in the main board. So imagine as first... Uh, Unless you know you're playing blue white, still has a pretty good advantage in the first game of any match. Yeah, and the deck also has you know, a little bit of resilience. Um, I'm kind of a fan of Nisa Rubain myself after playing with it a lot. It's kind of a thorn in the side of any control player. They have a hard time getting rid of it, and it can do some pretty good things for you. Doing um, you know, if they do wrath, I mean, it does help you build your board back up. True. Um, and the, you know, Nisa Rebain is also a pretty clutch card in, in an elf deck um, because, as I found out, um, I was running Koldotha, Rebirth, Red Aggro. Um, you know, I got your life total down, but there's nothing more damaging to a mono-red, uh, you know, aggro deck than the life gain. And have you, you know, going off for, you know, gaining 8 or 10 life every turn, it's uh, really difficult to to come back from. Yeah, it puts red players in an awkward position. Um, you gain two for each elf you control, and pretty soon you're getting out of burn range. You know they have you know no way to get to you anymore. Your creatures start outclassing theirs. They run out of cards, and you know they have to deal with Nisa, or you're just going to keep gaining more life than they have burn. All right. Well, uh, you know that's the new deck of the week. The elves. Um, it doesn't cost a ton to build. Um, you know, that's what we're all about on this show, and hopefully uh, Billy from our store can take this info and kind of um, tweak his deck if he thinks, you know, this is a good build. He can stick with it if he wants to go for some overwhelming stampedes. Um, you know, you could, even though you don't have bench bonds, you could still put some bigger creatures in there. Like I use uh, Leatherback Baylock. Um, you know, you get just some, some bigger creatures in there could, could uh, help out, but... Um, overall, I think the deck's pretty competitive and pretty fun, and, you know, it's green aggro, fun stuff. Yeah, I believe in the slot that I actually put Vengevines in for my deck. He's a Jiraga Warcaller. You know, forever, how many plus symbols and counters are on that, uh, all your elves get, you know, X power and toughness equal to the number of counters, so he can actually create bigger elves that way, too. Yeah, I mean, this deck can definitely... Um, produce a lot of mana really, really quickly, and if you drop a, a war caller, you know, I don't know, what, what's, uh, 
say by the fourth turn, what have you seen from the production of an elf deck as far as how many elves you can get into play by the fourth turn and how much mana could you produce to drop that war caller on the fourth turn? Well, I can play out my hand by the fourth turn usually. <laughs> uh, Mana-wise, uh, you can get some for some pretty good mana. Um, you probably put maybe three or four counters on this guy. Fourth turn, so. Okay, so you're looking at you're looking at seven to nine mana on fourth turn. Yeah. Which yeah, that that is great acceleration. And uh yeah, that could definitely end uh, end the game very quickly on the on the fifth turn or you know, I'm sure you're tapping some of your creatures for mana on the fourth turn to pull that off. So you're looking at uh swinging for lethal on the fifth turn, um and with the other cards in there that that's on a relatively consistent basis I think, as long as um you know, your your opponent's control strategies haven't uh, prevented you from playing out all your creatures. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's consistent turn four kill, but, you know, the deck I use is able to do some things, so it's usually, you know, in four, five, or six, they're usually dead. Yeah, well, I couldn't argue with that in standard. It's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, hopefully uh, you enjoy that there, Billy. <laughs> uh Let's go over our store of the week this week. Um, uh, for this week, I've selected uh, Dream Wizards in Rockville, Maryland. Um, I've recently been... Uh, I have some downtime. Um, I had to take my... I had to drive my wife around for a while to, you know, some training at different places. But rather than, like, dropping her off and then, you know, I, you know, she was going to be there for like eight hours. So rather than just dropping her off, driving all the way home and then driving back to pick her up later, I would drop her off and then I would drive around um, from city to city, um, just, you know, type some stores into the GPS. And I just wanted to travel around and see how many, um, just check out uh, all the different uh, magic stores in the area. And, you know, these are, you know, we're, we are in the middle of nowhere. So this is driving to locations that are like two hours away or further, um, just to see what was out there, see what the stores were like, um, and maybe meet some cool people. Um, uh, I was down in the Washington area, um, Rockville is around Washington, D.C., and stopped in Dream Wizards. Um, I know they had just hosted the largest U.S. Grand Prix um, ever held. They set a record. It was, uh, it was over 1,200 attendees, I believe. Which is, you know, ridiculous. I don't, obviously, I, I don't think they were able to host all those people inside their store, but they were the they were the guys that held it. I went into the store, and you know, there's definitely a lot of room in there. They got, and there was a healthy community of people playing too. A lot of EDH being played, from what I saw. And I, I had a bunch of cards on a list that I wanted to get, pick up. You know, they, I didn't have them. I, I, believe uh, Eldrazi had just come out or something like that. Um, so I had some commons and uncommons I wanted to pick up. Uh, I had a few new deck ideas. And I went up to the guy and, you know, they had a, they just had binders and binders of stuff in that place to choose from. You know, they, they got a lot of different cards from a lot of different sets. So if you were looking, if you were in the store looking to buy some stuff, they, they have a good selection. But I was kind of uh, taken aback, I guess, whenever I, you know, I was kind of going down my list. Do you have any of these? Do you have any of these? And the guy actually said, he was like, um, he basically said, uh, could you hurry it up? Cause I don't have time to be waiting on you all day. 
and I was like, okay, I understand, you know, you got things to do, um, so I just kind of named one or two more cards, and I was like, okay, that's it, purchased my cards, and uh, went over to the area to check them out, put them in some decks, and from what I saw, the guy then proceeded to just kind of go up to the register and stare out, and he wasn't doing shit, he didn't need to... <laughs> He had nothing to, better to do, you know. He, he could have sold me some cards and made his store a little bit more money, but I guess, um, you know, a paying customer was to uh, take, uh, you know, not important enough for his precious time. So, uh, you know, that guy's kind of a dick, but as far as I can tell about the store, uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty good overall. Um, I did hear other podcasts complaining, though, about uh, it. they don't have, like in the wintertime, they don't have very good heating. In the summertime, everyone's, you know, dying from no air conditioning. So, and, you know, you, you get a, a shop full of sweaty nerds sweating it out in the middle of the summertime. Not a pretty thing. But I guess overall I would re- recommend the store because it does have a really good community. And you can pick up some things there, but uh, just beware. There's at least one douche working there. <laughs> Robert, you ever visited Dream Wizards? Yeah, that's actually where I uh, usually go to PTQ at. Uh, I mean, the time. How, how have your experiences been with them? Uh, they were right. Uh, you know, never very good service up at the counter, you know, buying cards. They're usually pretty uh, nasty about that. Um, and, you know, they have room, but, yeah, the lack of, you know, heating and air conditioning and stuff like that, it's pretty terrible down there. And they, they just recently, I believe, started moving into a uh, university nearby. It's a lot better, but uh, then they don't have all their cards with them, and it's, it's kind of awkward. Yeah, I think there's actually a Pro Tour qualifier coming up on December 26th, and it, I think it's in Rockville, so I believe they would probably be the ones hosting that. Yes. Are you planning on on attending there, Rob? Uh, yeah, I might be there. All right, well, you, you send them my regards. I'm sure they'll appreciate it if they check out the podcast here. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right, sweet. Well, uh, yeah, check it out. We'll still we'll still support them because they're supporting the Magic community. So um, you know, check out the PTQ if you got if you think you got what it takes. You got to um, actually I believe it's a sealed event, so uh, you don't you don't need to have a good standard deck. You just have to have um, deck building skills and uh, be able to identify powerful cards and whatnot. Okay, so there's store of the week. So which brings us to our topic for the week which is small-town metagaming. What would you say, uh, Robert, you probably know, what would you say our metagame is here in, in Cumberland area? Lots of aggro. Yeah, you know, that there are actually, uh, I'd say there is a lot of aggro because every time I'm there, I'm representing aggro. I know lately you have been playing some aggro, and uh, I don't know whether it's red, green, white, um, or... Black, you'll see a lot of aggro. Um, there are a couple guys that roll up in there with blue-white control every once in a while. So that, but that's you know, that's the metagame. That's what you got to be ready for. Playing in a small town, you got to realize that um, you're gonna get hated against. Because if you keep showing up to the store week after week with one, you know, one or two decks. People, especially if you're winning with one, and you know people are going to be expecting you to bring that deck. Uh, like I definitely, um, like I won a couple standard events back uh, a few months ago in a row with um, a red deck wins with the splash of black for blightning, and 
you know, then I started seeing more and more sideboard hate for a- anti-red cards, which, you know, there's a lot of color hazards out there. Um, Core Firewalker obviously being a huge one. Um, and, you know, that's a really difficult card to overcome. You can try to sideboard hate against the sideboard hate, but uh, that just kind of waters down your deck a little bit more than it ought, to, it ought to be watered down. I mean, have you encountered anything like that, Robert? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be seeing it soon, because I've been on quite a streak with the elf deck, and I'm probably going to be seeing some pyroclasms and such come out, you know, probably <laughs> everywhere. Yep, so, I mean, that's, that's what you got to uh, look out for. But as far as sideboarding... Sometimes you, in a small meta game like that, you can sideboard against specific cards. Like if I knew there were Baneslayer Angels coming and I had a red deck, I would put in, um, like back in the day, I forget exactly what it was called, but it's the one where you sacrifice a land and it deals five damage to target creature. So just something that would be able to take that creature out. But, uh, I mean, for the most part, do you guys like to try to prepare for specific cards that you know hose you? Or are you looking more to build a sideboard to cater to a certain deck type? Like uh, you, you sideboard when you're playing aggro against control or against the combo deck. You just kind of get on a general sideboard because you never know what people are going to bring in you know, small communities unless it's the same people every week bringing the same thing. But uh, a lot of times there's, there's some random people in there and you have no idea what's going on. So you kind of be prepared for a little bit of everything. That's what I usually do. Uh, that's true. I mean, uh, Chris, have you built much in the way of sideboards recently? I know you haven't been playing a whole lot of constructed magic recently, but I mean, from your experience, what? How did you prepare your sideboard? Well, when I make a sideboard, I'm trying to. Uh, I don't really focus on certain decks, like certain specific decks, but I know it's going to do the most damage to my deck. Though I try to prepare for that, like with that. Um, one deck I had that deck I lost it was a combo deck I knew that control was going to tear it apart so basically the entire sideboard was built against that and yeah so you had a combo deck which obviously goes down to counterspell if they focus on one spell so you were just you know hating against counterspells yeah pretty much I was just making sure that I could because I was I'm fairly certain I could handle creatures and such. And, I don't know. I normally don't worry too much about any specific kind of deck. Like, uh, if I was playing with you, I wouldn't really make it strictly against a red aggro deck. I would just try to make it more generic. Um, as far as small town metagaming is concerned, then, guys, I mean, do you have any uh, any other tips as far as what you can do to overcome whenever everyone knows what you're bringing and you know basically what the field is when uh, going to be when you go out there? Uh, kind of test? Um, no, not really. I just I try to just keep it sort of like I'm not like I don't know who I'm going to play and no, they don't know what I'm going to play try to keep it like that so I could take a deck anywhere even though I don't really go anywhere else I try to make it so that if I did it would perform well anywhere I go not just against the small group of people I play with that's true whenever you are kind of a casual magic player it doesn't always benefit you to you you're probably going to be playing on some kitchen tables and stuff maybe not just your Friday Night Magic so if you're going to you know be playing with sideboard 
which you know in casual magic you might you may not even do very often but um if you do you might as well have your sideboard set up to take on all comers and and besides you never know when um some random stranger is going to roll in um from out of town and uh show up with something that you're not used to and, and mess your world up uh robert anything to add to small town metagaming uh, no, you're just going to keep it generalized. Yeah, so that's our recommendation. Um, let's not go overkill as far as, you know, you know who's going to be there. Sure, you might end up playing them, but you never know. You might play up some other random person, and you might have nothing in your sideboard to deal with it. So uh, prepare for, you know, a couple of the popular strategies, whether it's, you know, aggro or control or, you know, whatever kind of combo or ramp might be out there. That's going to bring us to our kind of listener email section. Um, we actually had a really good response from the first episode. Um, I had, you know, people emailing. I had people leaving comments on MTGCast. I had, uh, you know, people contact me through Twitter. And then, you know, Billy contacted me through Facebook with that elf deck. So maybe we'll just read over some of uh, this stuff and see what people had to say. Um, I'll start with a... Uh, Hotmail, a email that I got from Douglas. He says, just the cast I've been looking for. I don't play tournament or even Friday Night Magic. Um, I buy booster boxes and build the best that I can. I play with my girlfriend and occasionally we go to a friend's house, but uh, I do build for standard. Um, you know, he doesn't have play with Jace. He doesn't play with Primeval Titans. He doesn't have those cards. Um, he just used the cards that he likes and <laughs> that he has multiples of. Um, and he doesn't even really waste the money, or I guess, you know, doesn't spend the money to buy singles either. He, he, you know, he's the only guy contributing to his decks, so he is what he's trying to get across. He doesn't, um, he doesn't have a play test group to help him out. So he needs, he likes having ideas, um, coming, you know, from some of the decks we had last week in order to build outside of his comfort zone. He, he says also that if he builds a deck that's too good, he tears it down because magic is supposed to be fun. I think that's you know a great outlook, and I think that there are a lot of magic players out there who probably feel that way. You know, um, they're just they're in it for the fun. They're they're not planning on being pro tour magic players. They just want to uh, build a, a deck that's that's fun. And if it if he walks into the room, it sounds like if Douglas walks into the room. And he has a deck that dominates all his friends. That one time, um, he'll say, hey, great, I built a good deck. And then he's going to tear it down because it's going to be too good and it's not going to be as fun for him and his playgroup. Um, you guys have anything to add to that? I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty much how I play, too. I mean, all my cards are old. I don't have very many standard cards. So I just build decks that I like to play with with the cards I have. So... I can definitely relate to that, dude. All right, cool. Well, thank you uh, for the email, Douglas. Um, also got a Twitter mention, uh, which you can actually reach me at at Travis D. Jones, all one word, um, from a user called Sarkin Mad. He first asks, um, can we talk about Dragon Master Outcast and why isn't it used and can it work without green? As far as can it work without green, um, I, I can kind of see where he's going um, with that card. Is that he's he's playing he's thinking a, a ramp strategy where he can quickly put the card into play, 
gets up to his the five lands you need to get Dragon Master Outcast started, or all well, six six lands or more, and then you know then proceed to put his dragons onto his uh, battlefield uh, during each upkeep. My initial thought is that yes, you can definitely do um, you can do it without green, but that would have you pairing Dragon Master Outcast up with blue because um, your your other option other than ramping ramping the deck with uh, you know cultivating cards like that is to control the game um, with maybe some counters or some other you know and draw would also help. Um, in order to to get to the point where you happen to have laid that many lands down, and then you hopefully your your board is controlled, you get the lands down, and then you lay your Dragon Master Outcast, um, and then you know hopefully from there you you will con- continue to maintain control. Um, and blue will also provide your Dragon Master Outcast through via counter spells and other things um, with a way to keep your Dragon Master Outcast alive. Because clearly the reason uh, I would kind of run this into why isn't his question of why isn't it used um it's because it's really easy to kill you know just about anything will will take him out he only has one toughness there's no kind of evasion or anything like that and um yeah i mean you can play him on the first turn but effectively you you can't even really use him until the sixth turn if you if you're playing a lot you know or until you get six lands into play at least um I mean, does that sound, uh, Robert? Does that sound about right? How how would you go about using Dragon Master Outcast? Well, I would probably use a ramp strategy because you know if you're way into the end game or something, like that, he's just a one-one. He's pretty unclassed by most things, so you know I would probably pair him with green. You can get the lands out there fast, but uh, I mean you can also throw in Skumal while you're at it because he's also uh, based off the number of lands and he's in green. So I'm definitely calling green here. No, oh, that's true. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's some some thought for you, Sark and Matt, on how you might be able to do a, a Dragon Master Outcast deck. You can go for Scoot Mob, or you can take my advice, uh, try to build him with blue, and uh, you know keep him alive a little bit longer. Try to con- control the game, and I think also what blue has going for it is you're going to be able to more easily get into multiples of Dragon Master Outcast and lay those down so you're pumping out more than one, you know, per turn, um, just based on having cards like Preordain, See Beyond, things that will help you draw, things that will help you scry, and uh, line your hand up for the, you know, get the, the optimal hand a little quicker. Um, and then he also had for us a deck list, um, which I will post in the show notes, um, which I, you guys, I already sent it to you. Um, he has a deck he wanted us to talk about, which um, he calls Death at Mardi Gras, and I'm not even sure why, but it's, it basically runs on Furnace Celebration. It looks like a lot of sacrifice um, effects. He can use creatures like Ember Hauler and the tokens off of his Pontable Lamog to activate uh, Furnace Celebration. He's got some other sacrifice effects in there, like Flesh Allergy um, and Culling Deus. So that's kind of what he uses to get his Furnace Celebration online. He also uh, has Grave Titan in there. In order to finish things off, um, but do we have any recommendations for the deck? Mimic Vent. 
Yeah, Mimic Vat would actually be a pretty good addition to the deck. I mean, imagine having an Ember Hauler, Perilous Mirror every turn, so you're coming through with a creature, maybe a blocker or attacker, however you want to use it, plus an extra two damage when it goes to the graveyard, plus an extra two when you sacrifice it off of the Furnace Celebration, or, or two per Furnace Celebration. So, yeah, Mimic Vat would definitely be good. I mean, um... You'd also be able, that's just good for killing off their creatures and, and using them against, using their own creatures against them. So, uh, yeah, I think Mimic Vat would be pretty sweet. Um, I would also recommend Viscera Seer. Uh, it's another sack effect you can use. Um, I'd probably use it over Flesh Allergy and Culling Deus. I mean, I've seen it in some vampire builds recently, black-red vampires. Um, it helps you get to the cards you need with the scrying, and it also gives you that extra sacrifice effect. Um, so, so try that out. It could be pretty good. Um, so thank you very much, Sarkin Mad, for hooking us up with that deck list, and uh, good luck tweaking it. Hope it works out well for you. Um, like I said before, uh, Sarkamad reached me on Twitter. You uh, listeners out there can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, at Travis D. Jones, all one word. So come on and uh, follow me, and uh, you know, send me any decks like uh, Sarkamad did. Whatever you want to tweet to me, um, it's all good. Um, we also had a comment on MTG Cast left for us this past week. Um, that's from Rural Jace. I'll just go ahead and read that here. It says, Hey guys, I didn't realize, but I'd been waiting for a podcast about gaming in sparsely populated areas. I live right in the middle of the Ontario hinterland, and I didn't think I would see a single player besides the one person I connected with up here. I was really surprised that there, uh, that we were over a few ye- years to build up a nice, pretty nice community with a regular turnout of six to eight people. The attendance had been steadily dropping for a while, or has been steadily dropping for a while now, and I'm not sure what to do to bring it back. I've tried all sorts of things to encourage the community here. Finances and traveling distances are the two biggest concerns. I've made multiple attempts to run popper league events up here, even going so far as to buy and give away play sets of good commons uh, for deck construction. I guess Magic is a game where players just come and go. Any thoughts? Um, I mean, he's tried. Sounds like he's tried a lot of different things to increase his attendance. Um, but I don't necessarily think that uh, Magic is just a game where people come and go. I mean, I mean, I've I've been playing it for you know 13, 14 years now, and um, I, I haven't really. I mean, there have been times I've left, but I've I've played, tried to you know follow it, followed it throughout. Um, do we have any other recommendations that we can give to Rural Jace in order to try to help him out? Try to find a point in the middle where uh, it's easiest for most people to get to. That's probably the best way to start it out. And how about you, Chris? Can you think of anything? You could find a place close to where people are to play. I mean, giving away cards and stuff, that's always a good idea. That's what we did at WBU. I mean, not many cards, we still gave away stuff. And we had a common area that was near to everyone else. So that's what I would probably do, try to find somewhere close to the people. 
Yeah, uh, one thing he didn't mention was if there was a store involved or not, or if this is more like a ki- kitchen table magic thing where he, you know, he might invite people over to his house or whatever. But uh, yeah, you should try to find a point in the middle of the people that you have playing in your group. Um, I also think consistency is really important in getting games of Magic together. You know, uh, I know from my experience, due to work schedules or maybe you have school, um, you should hold the events at the same day, on the same day, at the same time. That would really help people to know, um, you know, when it's going down so they can adjust their schedule. You know, they'll be able to tell you, you know, I'm not going to be able to show up this week. If you're having it sporadically, different days, different times, your events, um, they can be, you know, harder, much harder for people to get to. Making sure they can plan ahead to attend, basically, is what I'm saying. But it is good to see uh, Rural Jace out there um, fighting the good fight up in there in Canada. So uh, keep it up, and thank you for your comment. Um, in addition to Twitter and MTGCast.com, you can reach me through my email at manekitora uh, at hotmail.com. Um, how can we reach you guys, uh, Robert and Chris? Uh, you can contact me at bunsenator at gmail.com. Okay, and Robert? You can contact me at zephys.com. That's Z-E-P-H-Y-S at gmail.com. I'll also put that in the comments section. All right, great. Well, I guess uh, that's pretty much it for the week from us. Um, did you guys had anything else that you wanted to mention before we peaced out? Yeah, if anyone's in the uh, the next PTQ in Rockville, uh, I'll probably be running on there somewhere. So shoot me an email. We can hang out. Sweet. I do know some people going to that event, so I'll have to hook y'all up. Uh, you can carpool. Uh, it's, well, it's time to peace out. What you got for me, Chris? Peace, man. All right, Robert. Catch y'all later. All right, we'll catch y'all later. Peace and chicken grease. This is Major Tom to ground control. Stars look very different today